Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Promise you we will play Picture This Before Midday. We don't play a whole pile of music on the Opinion Line, but I will, I promise you, play Picture This Before Midday today. Your chance to get involved in Big Spender and win a 10k shopping spree with Corks 96. And they're the artists of the day. You're listening out for them between now and midday. I'll, I'll give you more hints as we get closer to the time when it is coming. Good morning, 1850-715-996. Text 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. A lot to do. A lot of talk over the weekend and a lot of controversy in Cork over the weekend following a story that broke thanks to an anonymous but very reliable tip-off here on the show on Friday morning. This was about an incident that happened in Carrigline involving the 220 bus and a female driver on that bus who was threatened and intimidated and surrounded by a gang who refused to pay their fare. This happened on Halloween night. Now, it's gone right up to the top of the NBRU, the National Bus and Rail Union, and this is at a very, very serious level now because this is not the first incident on the 220. It's the most serious to date. It's not the first incident on any bus. There's quite a number of them have been happening. And there was a meeting, you might call it an emergency meeting, but certainly a hastily organised meeting on Friday night involving uh, NBRU bus drivers in Cork. And they've pushed it up the line now to their union uh, to do something about this and to try to talk to the guards and talk to whatever other authorities can be talked to to get something done. The NBRU has been asking for transport police, and particularly on late-night buses like this one, have transport police, have like literally plain-clothes Gardaí travelling on these buses because when you put on a service into the night like this, you're going to get trouble. So that meeting was organised, as I say, at fairly short notice and quite hastily on uh, Friday night. And then I met Leonard Kelly, who's uh, been driving a bus for as long as anyone can remember in Cork. And I met Leonard over the weekend because he was actually at that meeting uh, on, on Friday. There was a meeting on Friday night uh, in the city following the incident that we heard about on the show on Friday morning. Uh, it's one of a number of incidents. It's the most serious one to date, and drivers are very concerned. That's right, PJ. And what actually happened was nothing other than a hijacking of a, a public service vehicle uh, with a lady driver. Now, the lady driver in question is, is only in the job um, not even 12 months yet. And to be fair, this, this lady answered Bus Aaron's call when they look for lady drivers. And I'm sure it wasn't in the job spec what was going to happen on a Friday night. No, she, she has two small children. The description of the incident was that a number of young fellas refused to pay and then racially abused her and threatened her. Oh, that's correct, PJ. Um, they, they refused to pay. She called them back. She ended up, she, they ended up threatening her. No, they actually end, ended up verbally abusing her, uh, racially abusing her, and threatening to rape her. Could you believe oh. that on Cork City Services? Could Is she believe- all right? No, she's bad, very badly shaken. She's at home. Now, I believe that uh, the, the company gave her a few days off, you know. Um, and she, but she still has to come back and face this next week unless something is done about it. And um, the action that the union took was very, very mild compared to what we what were prepared to do, what some drivers were prepared to do. Um, it's not easy withdrawing the bus service, but especially from people, the people in Carrigaline and people in the Cork City. People in Carrigaline, believe it or not, are, are, are not involved in this at all. We believe yeah. it's group youths that are coming in and out of Carrigaline, uh, constantly causing problems. Um, or we believe they're splitting up into three sections, some going to Ballincollig, 
and some going to on the two two one. Now we believe that the, when they split up uh, on the previous night, that some of them went on the two two one service and and caused hassle on that route. Uh, it's uh, but that's this is an ongoing problem. But what happened the other night was other no nothing other than a hijacking. Mm-hmm. They hijacked a the vehicle. Now the guard response, I have to say, was 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 very good. Right, we had a response from the guards within fifteen minutes of of her making the call. The the the, the guards responded. Mm-hmm. Did, did the guards make any arrests? What did the guards do? No, no, there was none, no arrests whatsoever. None whatsoever. It it took it took a number of units from the first guards came. Which we find, you know, this is what's upsetting drivers. This is what's upsetting the, 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 the members of our union. What's upsetting people is when the guards did arrive, the guards said, what do you want me to do? I mean, this is a girl who was uh, driving the bus with youths who didn't want to pay, who verbally abused her, who threatened to rape her. I mean, tell me what other job that you would go to where, where this would happen. Tell me another country that would happen in. Or, you know, tell me why it should happen. Yeah. You know, and, and why should the guard make that kind of a statement? What can I do? It took several units of Gardaí before they cleared them off the bus. Mm. And even at that, an empty bus was brought from Capwell Garage to ferry those people into the city. These are the people that were on the bus already? These are the people who caused all the problems. They were taken on a they separate bus? They were taken bu- on a separate bus and brought back to the city with a guard escort. And now this is what we're faced with. I'm going to pause there, Leonard. Okay. The people who caused this incident were put on another bus and brought back to the city under guard escort. Yeah, I know you find this unbelievable. That is crazy. That I know you might find that unbelievable, but that is exactly a fact. That's factual. They were brought back into the city with a guard escort. Now, what we're saying, what we're saying is, uh, that happened on Halloween night. What was the plan for the night after, and the night after, and the night after? It took several guard units to... And your colleague, who'd been threatened and was... Obviously terrified, was left to continue her shift. Is that what you're saying? No, she, she was. She she had to drive the bus, the empty bus, back to the garage, right, right. and report in. That did happen, right? Um, she did get help from the supervisor who did come out. In the meantime, now the supervisor who did call OPG, I can tell you, he's one big lad, mm-hmm. and I talked to him on a one to one yesterday, and he said to me that he never ever felt so threatened in all his life. He knew he was in trouble. They they kicked the car. They abused the car. They by the way. They abused if the, the, the for that's why they needed to get probably reinforcements. The, it was this was a hijack. This, to me, this was a hijack of a bus. No, order, there's no other words for it. You know, we do understand this gang is travelling around. They're not from Carrigaline. This is not to blame the people of Carrigaline are not to blame here. But this gang of thugs are travelling around. I think you told me they are refusing as a matter of course. They're refusing to pay. Oh, that's just just the norm. I mean, it's march you know, on the bus and refuse. March to on the bus, refuse to pay. And um, it, it, uh, PJ must explain to you this: some of those drivers only have to be employed for that route because it's a new route. Yeah. I mean, we boast, you know, bus here is boasting the first twenty-four hour service route on the two twenty. But some of these drivers actually think it's a norm to be spat at. And I'm saying, no, no, it's not a norm. No, that doesn't happen in our job. It's not a normal to be spat at, and it's not normal for people to walk past and not pay their fare. I know that you've reached out to your General Secretary for guidance here. Nobody wants to see the buses pulled off the routes, but this is where it's going. Oh, oh that's a definite. That's a definite. And I, I'm telling you, our General Secretary would be the most informed person in the country because he's getting it daily. He's getting it daily. And he's actually, after looking for what's known as a dedicated guard unit. Mm. D- dedicated transport, transport police. Yeah. Transport police. The same as they have in the UK. The same as if you board a Lewis in Dublin, you see how many security people they have to have on them. And if it's getting to a stage where 60 people get on a bus and refuse to pay and terrorise the driver... I mean, 60 people? Yeah. 
Yeah, up to 60 people. And You're saying people. this gang can number as much as 60? Oh, yes, there was uh, up to 60 people on that supposed to be believe. You know, I mean, um, no way believe that there's CCTV to be looked at, right? There's, they're checking CCTV. But PJ, I mean, you know, let me just take it back a couple of weeks. There was a, sh- a Pelican tour window in Farnery. You know, it's a, look, let, let me take it back another 12 months pre that. There was a man uh, got a syringe attack up in Norderbeg. He got, yes, he got a, a syringe into the lip and a syringe into the... In the t- in, so this is this is what uh, the day-to-day running of, of driving a bus is it's coming to know. That's what it's coming to. You know, and it has to stop somewhere. I mean, um, um, as I said to you, the, the, the support that the drivers have out there is dill when it comes to it on, um, mm. on, a, on the weekend. I'm sure that the general public who use the bus properly would be shocked and, and appalled to hear this. Listen, listen, this is not the general public. PJ, the people that board the buses, look, I'm, I'm long enough at this now, right? I'm, I'm f- f- hidden 41 years in here, and I know about, the, I know about the, the, the public and how they deal with it, right? I know there's people shocked down in Cargoline. The people in Cargoline can hold their heads up. It has nothing to do with the, the, the general public that use our vehicles on a daily basis and use our transport system. It's got to do with tuggery, basic tuggery. And what we're looking for, and what we have to have, is a backup service that, that if the driver goes out on the road, that he's going to be, that there's going to be a backup service. The bus and drivers need need the support. And they need the support from the, the company, and they need the support from the guardie to do the job. Now, do the guards need to start arresting people? Because it sounds like they do. Well, I mean, you know, for, for guards to board a bus and not arrest people for, for... I mean, this bus was stopped. How old were these lads like? We, we believe 17 to 18. We believe there's a lot of drink on the bus as well, you know. They, yeah. they had consumed a lot of drink. Now, PJ, you, you, you just said it there. Arrest. I mean, this bus was stopped at 9.30, right? There was guards there at 9.45, 10 o'clock. Mm. This bus didn't leave. This bus was uh, under hijack by these youths at 11.30 until the guards got more reinforcements. So how is one person supposed to do that job? How is one person supposed to deal with those people if we haven't got support, a support unit? So this incident, you're saying, took over an hour to resolve itself, oh, even it? with the guards oh, at the scene? Oh, yes, with the guards at the scene, it took an hour and a half. We describe it as a siege. That's the honest truth now. That's what, that's what we're describing it as. I mean, the guards came and they needed more units and more units and more units to clear them out. Tugs. That's all they are as tugs. Because any, any amount of group of youths that would attack a lady driving the bus attack her and verbally abuse her and threaten to rape her in all fairness I've never in all the time I'm in transport never seen it and I'm going to say something now if that bus had been over Patrick's Bridge and headed to the north side of the city I'd stand over this it would never have happened why do you think that is? that's not taking the people of Caroline yeah. because if there was one person on that bus one person whether it be going to Churchfield Farnley Mayfield they would have offered assistance to that lady yeah. Like, Nobody else on the bus involved involved themselves. No, 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 no. There was none. Not, not to, our, to our knowledge, none. You know, which is which is frightening for us, right? Now, that, as I said, no, um, we believe they're not from the area yeah. anyway. So, yeah. but I'm saying, what I'm saying to you is that that lady would have been way safer, you know, if she had been over Patrick's Bridge. All right, you know, and, and that's the real thing. Leonard, I leave it there. Thanks for talking to us. And pl- time, please yeah. convey our good wishes back to that young woman. Oh, thanks very much. And listen. Again, thanks for your time and thanks for everything. That's Leonard Kelly uh, speaking to me after their meeting, hastily arranged meeting at the weekend. And I've also been speaking to Dermot O'Leary of the National Bus and Rail Union. We'll hear that in a minute. But 
Just remind us again of the statement that Gardaí issued uh, to us initially when we went to inquire following the tip-off we got on Friday. Gardaí responded to a call at approximately 10 o'clock Thursday, 31st of October in the upper Kilmoney Road area of Carrigaline. A number of boisterous youths refused to disembark from a public bus service. Bus service was temporarily stalled, which resumed a short time later. No arrests had been made. That was the... Uh, a statement that came from Guard the Press before the end of the opinion line on Friday. As we now know, there was a lot more to that incident, as Leonard has outlined to us. There was a lot more to that incident than we originally thought. It was extremely serious. And that young woman was, she's one of, about a year ago, as Leonard said, about a year ago, Boss Aaron put out a call for more women to join the service as drivers. You know, you wouldn't exactly be filled with confidence joining the service as a bus driver if you were a woman and hear that kind of carry on. You certainly would not. Kate says if it was any other country, they'd be inside in a paddy wagon. The guards dealt with that very badly. Um, Eric says if Peter was to ring the guards and say to them, what do you do if someone doesn't pay their TV licence or breaks a red light or shout at a cyclist? You can get fined or a talking to, you name it. I have a wife at home and a daughter. If someone threatened to rape one of them, I have a shotgun for shooting rabbits, I'd have it out. I don't care what they do to me. How can the guards say, what do you want me to do? My blood is boiling. If someone said they were going to rape you or rape PJ's wife, where, where are we going wrong, is what Eric wants to know. As I said, I spoke before we came on air this morning to Dermot O'Leary of the NBRU, and I hear from him next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Ten grand. 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 Ten grand.
uh, which of course uh, listeners will, will be aware was Halloween night. And again, look, the MBIU at our conference in Cork, in fact, PJ, in August of this year, passed a motion of delegates and warning people that there will be disruption uh, of two, and including Halloween. And unfortunately, it was it was more of a, of a prediction rather than a motion uh, with, with some of the stuff that happened across the country. But look, I'm speaking to PJ Coogan and Cognate 6 FM, so obviously the issue in Highline is one which which is uh, very much centre stage in, in Cork this morning. Um, it was a very serious incident. Um, again, I suppose, not to downplay what happened last Thursday night, <clears throat> that's one of about four in the last few weeks uh, on that particular road, unfortunately. Uh, and I suppose, look, uh, we've been campaigning for for a dedicated guard of public transport division mm. for quite a while now. Uh, not saying that the, 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 the such a unit would, uh, I suppose... Um, would, would walk the article, so to speak, but certainly it would make a difference to some of the, the activity out there. But last Thursday night, as I understand it, from my people on the ground in Cork, there was a gang of youths uh, trying to board a bus in Carrigaline, uh, in the Carrigaline Crosshaven area, uh, and the driver did her job and, and went to look for uh, the fare from them. Uh, and again, that's that, that's the that's run off a lot of abuse on her, yeah. including that's the most serious allegation that which has been carried as I said in the media, yeah. which is uh, appalling. Now, look, I suppose to be fair. Uh, and I spoke to um, representatives of the AGSI recently in relation to our call for the dedicated transport police, uh, and they will be very uh, supportive of that call. But of course, the caveat uh, from both myself and the MBIU and again the AGSI uh, would be that the resources uh, would be required, of course, from government uh, to provide that. And again, look, I'm looking at a headline here from last week from the Examiner, uh, and just we're just two guardians were patrolling in Cork. Yeah. Uh, so they're facing a very different task as well. We've been talking for weeks about the need for more guards. There's another allocation to come out this month, and we, we hear rumours, and I stress they are rumours, that we might not even get that allocation, which is keeping a very close eye to it. But Dermot, that new 220 route, uh, the round-the-clock route, is extremely popular and very well supported. I speak as someone who travels on it quite frequently. Like, people, ordinary, decent people who use the bus, will be very worried now that Drivers will just refuse to drive it. Well, again, look, I mean, again, I said this in the press release over the weekend that the, the ordinary, decent, like yourselves and many others, law-abiding citizens, 99.99% of those people that use that well, is a fantastic service. And don't forget, it's the first 24-hour service in the country. We've, we've been recently uh, negotiating with Dublin Bus in relation to one in Dublin. Uh, so Cockwood flagship, Cockwood first, and again, look, I'm from the area, you well know, and it's a fantastic service. Uh, and again, I would appeal to people who are very vociferous in criticising uh, the service uh, from time to time, and we could reason from their point of view. Unfortunately, it, it ends up the drivers getting blamed, uh, and again, the bus here and get blamed for something that they're not control of. In lots of cases, I talk about the traffic situation yeah. in Park and they lack the dedicated bus lanes and all that. Uh, I would call it some of those... But you know, Dermot, people will crib about buses being late. That's just the nature of things. Ah, but but, no but at the same time, time, a driver being threatened in the course of her job, I don't think there's a decent person in Cork who won't stand up against that, you know? Ah, no, certainly will not. I mean, all I'm saying in relation to that is that those people should, should be as specific as now as they are, as they are when, they're, when, they're, when they're complaining about their bus service across Facebook. Dermot, I know that the, the worry, as I said, finally, the worry will be that the, the drivers will refuse to drive the 220. Can you say anything to listeners this morning to reassure them? Well, look, again, those people that use the 220 regularly will know there was a curtailment uh, on it the bridge in Carrigaline, as I understand it, over the weekend. And look, I'd be, I'd be speaking to my people locally. There was a commitment given, in fairness, from the uh, local superintendent, um, Gary McPollin, in Cork. But again, look, and I, I have to stress this in relation to Gary, they're doing a very difficult job 
in very difficult circumstances, but their resources are stretched again. And look, I'll be talking to my people on the ground in Cork and see in relation to the rest of this week. But certainly the uh, ambition and aspiration of the MBIU is to have a fully uh, operational service. But again, we have to be mindful of not alone the safety of staff, PJ, but the safety of the people who use the service as indeed, well. Indeed. All right, Dharma, we'll talk again and thank you. Thanks, PJ. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Dermot O'Leary from the National Bus and Rail Union speaking to me this morning just before we came on air. The question of why there were no arrests and look, <laughs> if I said this, I'd be told, oh, no, that's not true. But a, a serving Garda has texted the show at uh, 083 396 to say, PJ, a detailed written statement of complaint would have to be taken from that driver before any arrest could be made. Perhaps that's why there was no arrest on the night. Gardaí have to work within the law whether we like it or not. Thank you for that serving Garda. That would be one of the reasons why, admittedly, that no one was arrested there and then at the scene. Another message though says the age of being able to arrest and prosecute has to be altered. These thugs know they're untouchable. Government has to make a change in this. Why weren't all 60 of the parents called and told about what the children were up to? This is a disgrace. Tom says lawlessness is sweeping across Ireland at the moment, PJ. It's a lack of guard the numbers. On WhatsApp, Frankie says, PJ, isn't there CCTV in all those buses? Why aren't those scumbags pictures all over the place? Surely it would speed up with identifying them and help with the guardie. Danielle lived in Dublin for years. The bus driver has no contact with the public. Money goes into the machine and the ticket comes out. Why don't they do this? It's sad, but they have to keep the drivers safe. And Virgie on WhatsApp. Everyone's on about the youths being outrageous. In other countries, there's a so-called Miners Penalty Institute and because youth unfortunately do crime and they feel untouchable and they get away with anything, which is wrong, very wrong. They need boundaries. Caller's son was was assaulted, rather, assaulted on the 220 bus in early October. Got a box in the face, came off the bus spouting blood. She rang bus errand, but they didn't want her to follow it up. No feedback from them, or her son, rather, didn't want her to follow it up. No feedback from bus errand. She was told to send an email. Then the guy from bus errand hung up. Son didn't want gather involvement. He's a CIT student and thinks the gang that assaulted him, there was four in his own group and a big crowd there. They came down to them at the back of the bus, was supposedly trying to sell them drugs. You see, we hear about this all the time. All, and not just on that route, but on other routes as well. Let's go to uh, Councillor Seamus McGrath in, in Carrigaline. Seamus, good morning. Shocking incident and a lot more to it than we were hearing on, on Friday morning. Yeah, good morning, PJ, and thanks okay. for having me on. Absolutely. And look, I suppose, first of all, I want to absolutely condemn the incident. Um, I listened to Dermot O'Leary there, and he's absolutely right. You know, many of us have been vocal about the inadequacy of bus services and so on like that. And we do have to come out and, and vociferously condemn an incident like this and, and call that there will be absolute and, and, and strong follow-up on it. Um, it's a shocking incident, you know, a bus driver going about their duties, providing a, bu- a public service should not have to endure this kind of um, this kind of threatening behaviour, very, very serious uh, threatening behaviour. Um, and I suppose I, I do want to reassure people, I suppose, uh, PJ, that the matter is being taken seriously. Um, I have been in touch with the Gardaí over the weekend. Uh, the matter is very much ongoing. It isn't just going to rest. Um, as some have commented, you know, with the youth being t- taken off the bus, etc. It's not going to end there. Uh, the Gardaí are following up and treating it seriously. That's good to hear. And, 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 and of course and, there will and, be CCTV so these people can be identified. 
Yes, there, there, there would be CCTV. Um, but as I said, look, I have been in touch with the Gardaí and it is, it is being actively pursued and, and that's very important because, as I said, nobody should have to endure that kind of behaviour when they're going about their duties. Um, and, and this particular driver, a female driver, on Halloween night, um, you know, left her family to provide that service and it simply isn't good enough. Um, and to be fair, the Gardaí did respond on the night uh, and so on like that. Um, so I know we have spoken before about the inadequacy of the Garda resources and that is absolutely the case but in this particular instance even though they were exceptionally busy in, in, in the area on Halloween night they did respond to this incident uh, but what's important now is that there is a follow through mm. uh, and that those who, who engage in this behaviour face consequences What, what uh, concerns a lot of people Seamus and I know look as, as a local public rep- representative you know there's not a whole pile you can do about this other than shout up the line maybe to your your, your brother as a senior politician so that is that like a lot of people are now saying it is it is it is time to look at the age at which you can bring proper consequences down on the heads of these youngsters because if they're under 18 they reckon they're pretty much untouchable no, I, I completely agree with that, and that's something that is very often said, you know, that the consequences just aren't there when behaviour like this takes place, um, you know, that we're seeing in some, in some cases as being a soft touch, uh, that there, is, there aren't proper consequences, uh, and that's something that I think absolutely has to be, you know, has to be followed through on, and there has to be consequences for individuals who engage in this kind of behaviour. It is utterly unacceptable uh, to make such comments in a public place to someone going about their duties uh, and, and there has to be a real follow-through from the law in terms of that. And, and I would agree and it's, it's something people say publicly very often in terms of when they're underage, you know, they just get a bit of a snap in the wrist and it's, it's forgotten about. Um, and serious incidents such as this shouldn't be forgotten about. There should be a record and there should be uh, you know, there should be, a, as, as I've said already, consequences for it. Um, and, I mean, we've seen a high-profile case in the news involving a very serious crime with minors in the recent past, and, you know, there are consequences for those minors, so I don't think it's true to say that just because they're not 18 that there can't be consequences. Yeah. Um, and I think you might know the case I'm referring to, uh, you know, it's, it's been in the news recently, and there, there are minors involved in that case, um, and, and, and they have faced court and so on like that. So... Uh, it is it is critical, but I just wanted to come on to reassure people that this is being treated as a very good, serious incident. And, and as I say, I was in direct contact with the Gardaí over the weekend, um, and they are following through on this. Um, and I've got that reassurance again this morning right. from the Guard. Much, much um, appreciated because, for that, then. Like we, have, we have an excellent bus service, PJ, and I just want to say over the weekend, there was good news in terms of the bus service with the new 216, the passage west of Monkstone, with the new 225 serving airport, Ballygarvin, and Carrigline, and Ringeskiddy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, bus air are not providing the services. People are using the services. The drivers are carrying out their duties. Uh, and this kind of um, these kind of incidents just have to be stamped out. Uh, and we all have to put our shoulder to, to the wheel to ensure that that happens. All right, leave it there. Seamus McGrath, Councillor Seamus McGrath, thank you very much. 1850 Caller says the opinion line, or says, caller to the opinion line, says the 220 was pelted with missiles again last night near the Riverlee Hotel at around 7 o'clock by a huge gang. It's mad, just mad. On WhatsApp, hi there, it's completely wrong what happened to that woman, but this is a daily thing for a lot of bus drivers daily abuse and I think it's only coming to light because it's a woman and the men are of the awful opinion of get on with it oh you mean we expect the men to no we don't but anyway appreciate your message I know a bus driver he receives daily abuse from gangs and drunks etc and racist comments all the time he had to call the guards numerous times and nothing's ever been done about it I agree this should never happen to a woman but it shouldn't happen to the men either and this should be highlighted actually that is what 
Leonard Kelly said. Leonard, the bus driver who was organising that meeting in Frontenac said, a lot of drivers now, new drivers particularly, who've been hired particularly for that 220 route and for extended routes, a lot of drivers now think it is the norm to be spat at and the norm to be uh, shouted at. It isn't. And it never should be. 1850 715 uh, There was also that report, if you'll have seen it over the weekend, on the examiner, that on one particular night uh, in October, there was only two Gardaí available. Two to patrol the whole city centre. Two Gardaí to patrol the whole city centre. Now, look, have you had any experiences at night recently? You know, uh, because we've had, we've been inundated for the last few weeks with it. But then you read that story in the exam of the weekend. Two guards, two available to patrol the city centre on a given night. Coming up next is racism on the increase. We've got racist graffiti uh, in an area of the city. We'll talk to Dara next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot of Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. A quiz night will take place in the Cove Ramblers Clubhouse on Friday the 8th of November. Proceeds are in aid of the Hope Foundation and all are welcome. Physio Pilates Cork is hosting a two-hour charity Pilates class in Skull Ursula Blackrock Village on Saturday the 9th of November from 10am to 12pm. All proceeds will go to Enable Ireland Children's Services Cork. For more, you can check out Physio Pilates Cork on Facebook. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Talking to Dara about racist graffiti in just a while. Apparently it's some fairly shocking racist graffiti painted on a wall near where Dara lives. Patrick on WhatsApp says the guy that you don't want to make arrests in general. At half three in the morning two weeks ago, eight or ten males came out of a house fighting, woke the entire neighbourhood, knocked the top off a neighbour's wall. One of them then drove recklessly up and down the street came back down, drove into the pillar outside the driveway while others were smashing the windscreen. The door was ripped off the car. The guards were called, made no arrests and arranged for the tow-away of the car. Both Cork City Council and the Gardaí have uh, said there is nothing they can do about the behaviour. Whoa. Whoa. 1850 Just to repeat one more time the Garda statement that was issued to us on Friday after the story broke of what had happened to that uh, bus driver in Carrigaline on Halloween night. And again, I think we've now established it is not people of Carrigaline that were involved in this. It is, as Leonard Kelly was explaining, it's a travelling gang that are going up and down from Ballincollig to Carrigaline, also going on other routes from time to time, down towards Crosshaven. It's, it's not people from Carrigaline. They're, they're blameless in this. It says, Gardaí responded to a call at approximately 10 o'clock Thursday, 31st of October, on the upper Kilmoney Road area. A number of boisterous youths refused... Boisterous? I mean, what an underplay. Boisterous youths refused to dismark from, disembark from a public bus service. Bus service was temporarily stalled, but resumed a short time later. No arrests have been made. Now, as Leonard Kelly said, it was 
more like a hijacking a siege not the number of boisterous youths but look it's being investigated and we'll see where it goes and we'll follow it with interest now Dara I know you don't want to say where you live because you believe this could happen pretty much anywhere these days good morning hi PJ how are you good good what's happening with Um, your neighbours so recently uh, maybe a couple of months ago an Afro Irish I I presume I I could call them Afro Irish um, family moved in I live like uh, in the centre near the centre of Cork City right um, and an Afro Irish family moved in and they were my neighbours and a few weeks after they moved in someone scrawled a swastika outside on the wall outside their house God. now um, their their kids go to the local school so um, their kids have to walk past this every time they come in and out of the house wow and when when was this done was it done during the night or um, I think it was during the night yeah I'm not entirely sure but um, it was done maybe six seven weeks ago right right and have they been able to clean it off or has anyone cleaned it off for them or uh, no, no, it's still there, still there. I, I have no idea why. Maybe the landlord isn't prepared to paint the wall or something. But um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. But it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Like, unfortunately, we have, like you say, a lot of Afro-Irish families and others like that move, living perfectly decent, normal lives like everybody else, and then they're subject yeah. to this nonsense. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think. I think really a lot of the a lot, a lot of the people who sort of post or share this sort of anti-immigrant rubbish on on social media have to really kind of look at themselves a little harder and realise that they're just stoking the fire. Yeah, are you referring to the stuff we heard from the likes of Ackle Island last week, or from Uttarard a couple of weeks ago, or? Uh, no, just the general, just the general people on Facebook on my Facebook feed. I get an awful lot of uh, anti-immigrant or anti-asylum seeker kind of people just sharing uh, just rubbish, basically about immigrants and about asylum seekers. And I think that some people would take it too far. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion and everything, but. It just it stokes the fire and it gives ammunition to these people who who would scroll a swastika on a wall of a of a family, you know. Yeah, yeah. You you have relatives, I think, in the, in the states, do you? That have yeah. My um, my niece and nephew are sort of Afro-American Irish. They're uh, but their their father is Ameri- is um, African American, yeah. and uh, their mother is my sister. Obviously, she's Irish. Mm-hmm. So it sort of it really turns my stomach to see this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does come up from time to time, Dara, is that I'll get calls and messages here about it. Is is a perception, and I stress that word, a perception, that you know it is harder for an Irish person to get housed in the city. That's yeah. a perception. There are no statistics to back it up, whether it's true or not. But that's a perception. And that can lead to some of what's happening to your neighbours. Well, I mean, like, it's... I think it's... I think, PJ, it's the oldest trick in the book, you know? I mean, the politicians will blame the immigrants instead of doing their job and building houses. There's enough money to go around, but the, there's enough money to house and feed the poor. It's just that uh, the rich can never be satisfied, you know? I mean, like, 50% of TDs are millionaires. One in five TDs are landlords. Mm. I... 
So, I mean, I think... I know about the second statistics. I'm not too sure about the first one. <laughs> one in five, 50% of them are millionaires. I'm not too sure about that, uh, but certainly the, the second one is fairly well established. Yeah, yeah. I think I got it from the Irish Examiner, right. if I can recall correctly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even even the left-wing politicians, I won't name any names, but, I mean, they could buy and sell you, like, the leaders of the left-wing parties. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So you just blame the whole thing on the politicians, do you? I do, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there are, there are 72,000 people on the waiting list in 2018, and uh, the government are building, according to their own figures, they're building 11,000 new social homes. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, like, it's... I mean, the blame lies squarely with the politicians, basically. Mm. Mm. We, we're told by experts in housing, the likes of Father Peter McVerry and them, were told that it, it, you need 35,000 new social house builds in a year just to keep up. Just Yeah, up. yeah. I'd well believe it, yeah. We're nowhere, we're nowhere near that. And then last week on this programme, I had two, two Northside politicians um, fighting over a development of social houses. Um, one telling me that his constituents are opposed to it. They're opposed to a development of something like 54 social houses, but they were okay with the development of 40-odd private houses. Oh, really? There's an amount of of nimbyism going on. Now, he wasn't saying he had any problem with it himself, but he was saying that was what what his constituents were, were opposed to. People don't want, they didn't want to see social houses going into this particular part of town. Absolutely. I mean, like, Apple owe 14.6 billion and counting. I mean, if Leo was to take that off them or, or or any of their friends like Facebook, Airbnb or anything like that, I mean, they're the same. I mean, if Leo was to take that, he could solve the housing crisis overnight, house all the immigrants, the asylum seekers and the poor. You kind of wonder, is it all that simple? Um, probably, well, is it, probably is if you want to do it, I guess, but... Yeah, I don't think it's all that difficult either, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not as difficult as they make it out to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, how have you spoken to your neighbours about this? Um, I haven't. No, no, I haven't. I haven't been in the local in a while now, so um, I haven't really brought it up. But I just posted it on Facebook, and that's why. Uh, that's how um, Deirdre from your office heard about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was important to highlight it, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. No, that's that's completely unacceptable in, in any neck of this like, here's the thing. We went abroad, tens of thousands of us over the years. We are I'm too young, but our, our ancestors remember no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so yeah. the last thing we want to be doing is replicating that on our own streets. I mean, if it wasn't for Irish I am a bit of a uh historian, just an amateur historian and I know for a fact that if it wasn't for Irish immigrants in the US, the War of Independence would never have happened. I mean, they basically funded Dev's government, Dev Valera's government. Mm. So, I mean, like, considering the immigrants have paid, played such a huge part in the history of our state, it would be kind of foolish. It would be, uh, yeah, foolish to, to deny immigrants from other countries now that we've got our foot on the ladder, you know? All right. Listen, Dara, good good talking to you. And I know you don't want to tell us exactly where you do live, but it's it's around the city centre, and that's disgraceful. Carry on. It's nice, by all accounts, very nice family. 
move into a, a local house and there's a swastika dubbed on their wall because one member of the family happens to be brown or maybe more members, I don't know. Crazy, carry on. On the subject of the buses, here's a different point. Actually, no, hold on, I'll wait, I'll do a break first. Interesting point. I have heard this said sort of, you know, this is kind of over a pint stuff. But I wonder if anybody actually believes it. 1850-715-996. Just before she reads the 10 o'clock news, um, Maureen, you, you were a witness to this situation on Father Matthew Street as well last evening. Something happened and you, you messaged us about it. What, what was it? Yeah, so um, I, I saw in the message in the group chat that we all have going that there was an incident on Father Matthew Street. Yeah. But then just before it, around that time, because I finished up here around half six and I was going down by Anglesey Street and over towards George's Quay. But you know, there by Union Quay where you, you kind of go around left after, is it yes. Copley Street? Yes. Um, just there. So we were stopped at a red light and when you look ahead, we just saw the flashing lights come on and the guards were after stopping a car in the middle of the road so everyone had to pass them out. But it was, it looked like it was a Yaris when we drove past it and there was a few people in the Yaris. There was three guards um, at the driver's door looking in. So, like, because when, when I heard that there was, that this person couldn't get through to Anglesey Street or there wasn't anyone yeah. around, I was like, there was over the, over the bridge. This is Evelyn. Uh, she saw a very large gang of teenagers who came dashing around the corner into Father Matthew Street carrying bottles. They slowed down. One of them threw a bottle against the wall and I said to the people nearest me, I was stopped on the pavement. If they were going to break bottles, I was calling the guards. I had the station number on my phone. I phoned and phoned, but no answer. I found the size of the crowd and the speed they moved very intimidating and disappointing not to be able to make any gather contact. So that's the same incident that you saw. Thanks very much for that. Moray, news from Mimsy in under two minutes. Uh, just a lot coming in about anti-social stuff. That thing down in Father Matthew Street, we've also put in a query with the Garda Press Office to see what they can tell us with regard to it. If you, if you were around that area, Father Matthew Street, that general part of town last night over towards Copley Street, did you see a car stopped? Did you see a gang with bottles? Uh, what what happened? We're trying to put, put, uh, put more detail on it. Yeah, here's that other point I was going to bring to you. Um... Caller says the new bus services are taking a considerable amount of business away from taxi drivers. We are public transport too. The government needs to make sure that this part of the network remains viable, i.e. taxis. There's no joined up thinking. Caller also thinks the taxis should be allowed to use some or all of the bus lanes or stops as taxi ranks at night. 185715. I, I think the answer is that when it costs... 165 or something with a leap card to get home from town as opposed to 1650 in a taxi. I think it's a no-brainer. I do. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Thanks to Mags who posted a link to the article about the wealthy TDs. Yeah, some of the wealth inside the doors of Leinster House would make your eyes water. So it would absolutely. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696 and the email opinion 96 fm we can return if you wish still lots of messages coming in return if you wish to antisocial behaviour and buses and all of that uh, throughout the course of the morning but we have to return to something that we said we would stay with uh, it could be a year or two it could be a year and a half anyway before we finally get finished with this one but you will remember that back in September early September 
I went to visit uh, the Walshes in Middleton. Now, they're living in Middleton all their lives. It was their first family home, and to this day, it's the only home that they've ever owned. I spoke to Deirdre uh, about her husband and her two daughters. All three of them have uh, muscular dystrophy, and with the daughters in particular, it's getting worse faster. So what they've had to do is they're going to sell their beloved family home. They have a little plot of land that they can build on and they have a builder, uh, Kieran McCarthy of KMC Homes, who's willing to work with them. And we did a big package on that uh, a few weeks ago. And we've had a lot of offers of help in because Kieran said to me at the time that the, they'll build it, they'll plumb it, they'll wire it, do all those things. But it's fitting it out, it's finishing it out, is going to be the really difficult one uh, come the end of the project. So we've had quite a number of people. One man was an architect and said he specialises in building homes for people with disability. He's going to help if, if he wants. We had a couple of offers of help of plasterers, painters, that kind of thing. Let's remind us again of just what some of the things Deirdre had to say about what's facing her family before very long. There's every possibility that we could have three wheelchairs in the one house at the same time. Mm. Um, so it, it, it'll have to be very special. a very special house. So it's, it's, it's not going to be just a three-bedroom bungalow, yeah. as, as I would love to be able to build. It's going to be, it'll have, but from the space, from the ground size and everything, it'll just have to be, and that's why things are costing, will cost so much. It, it has to be turnkey ready from day one for three adults with yeah. a worsening disability, yeah. this is the truth. Yeah, yeah. and because, I, from my point of view, I'm a chronic asthmatic, so I cannot go into a building site, I cannot go into a house that's not floored or painted or dust-free, because there's a possibility that I have been hospitalised before from asthma right. attacks, so I have that problem as well. So it's it, it'll have to be turnkey, yes. ready to move in, basically, and go to bed that night. That's from my original interview with the Walsh family. Uh, it's a few weeks ago now, back in, I think, middle September or thereabouts. So the building isn't quite underway yet, even though they have a site and they have a plan, they have an architect and, and they're getting there. They're, they're, they're almost ready to start and it's going to take quite a while to do this, as you would imagine. But still the offers of, of help are coming in, help with the end point of things like fitting it out and furnishing it and all of that. You will be aware if you live in East Cork, and we're all quite excited about it. Can't wait to take a spin down and have a look at Yusk, their new shop opening, the first one uh, in Ireland, the first one outside of Dublin, opening in Yall in November. So we kind of said, okay, we'll put the deep, deep dirty here, put the thinking cap on. And we said, we'd look at that. We'd talk to them and with East Cork and Middleton and Yall and Yusk and a great big new business coming in. Jenny's marketing manager for Yusk Ireland. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Great. Lovely to talk to you. I know that uh, yourself and Dee have been tic-tacking on this for a little while now. The situation that the Walsh's face is, is serious enough. Three, three people will be in wheelchairs within quite a short space of time. They've got a builder, they've got a plot, they'll get the house built, but they're not going to be able to, to fit it out. They're just not going to have the kind of money because all their savings and everything will be gone from just building it. And the USC have heard about this and are going to step in. Yes, well, absolutely. As you mentioned, Deirdre from, from your team reached out to us and, and at that time I, I hadn't heard about the, the, the Walters or, or their story, but I, I listened back to the podcast that you guys recorded and you know some of the things that, that, 
Deirdre Walsh was mentioning, you know, things like it, it's daunting and, you know, there's a mammoth task ahead and it's a big project and so on. I mean, of course, when you hear things like that, for, for me and for youth, you know, if we can even take a, a tiny little teeny piece of the stress away, you know, we're, we're more than happy to help. And of course, it's not possible to do it for everyone, which we would love to. But as you mentioned, you know, we are opening a store there. So it was in, in that sense it was good timing for us to hear about the project and yeah of course if we can help and when we are going to help we, we absolutely are delighted to be able to help Okay so you're going to you're, you're, you're going to help them with furnishing that's what it is isn't it? Yeah so I suppose and we will leave this up to the Walsh family in terms of you know what they need or what's most critical for them but you know what I, what I mentioned to, to your Deirdre at least was that you know something perhaps like hitting out a, a living room, living area or bedroom and things mm. like that, the, the areas that we're particularly strong on and I also uh, heard that um, Deirdre Walsh is a, a chronic asthmatic, so in that sense, we have some some really good bedding products that are specifically designed for asthmatic. So things like that, I think, will be will also be a good fit. Great, great. And and by the way, all all systems go for opening on the fourteenth. Absolutely, yes. Next Thursday, nine a.m. Where we're almost ready to open the doors. Um, I, I did hear there was a room where we were going to open a week earlier and open this week, but it's absolutely untrue. We won't be ready this Thursday, but next Thursday, the fourteenth, we're 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 opening the doors. I think a lot of people are very excited about it, Jenny. They oh, really are. good, good, yeah. great, well, good to hear. So you're going to come on board and help us out. We've hashtagged this a home for the Walshes, and and Yusk are going to come in and make a contribution it'll be between yourselves and the family and the builder Jenny that is absolutely marvellous and thank you so much for coming on board with us on this not project not at all happy to help cheers that's great that's Jenny she's marketing manager with USC. they open in East Cork next week and when the Walshes need it they will come good with some furnishing it'll be up to them it'll be up to them now I spoke over the weekend with Kieran McCarthy uh, the builder just as this offer from USC became available just so we, we hadn't gone into a whole pile of detail about it at that stage but I did speak uh, to Kieran uh, about it to see you know how this is going to go down uh, in, in with the family because it's going to be great it's going to be they're going to be delighted. so I've been speaking as I said over the weekend to Kieran McCarthy Kieran when I visited the Walshes in their existing home with you uh, a few weeks back you explained to me it's it's really the finishing of this project and the presentation of their new home will be the bit that you need the help with. Now, Yusker coming into East Cork very, very soon. Everyone's excited about it. This is a very generous offer that they've made uh, to the family. Yeah, no, we're, 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 we're delighted to hear of, of, of their very kind offer. I mean, they're, they're, they've offered to fit out, um, fit out perhaps the living space or our bedroom or two, which is, which is amazing. I mean, it, it'll make a huge difference to the home. There's a huge expenditure in, in, in the fit out of a house. And, of course, these are all the nice things that... Um, Deirdre and her and her family will be able, will be able to enjoy on a day to day basis. So, we're considering the uh, the living space as as as, as the, the the fit out project. Um, so, I mean, it'll be very exciting to see what comes out of that and and, and how it all comes together. You know. At what stage are we now? When we talked before, uh, you had a plot of land and you and you had a plan. Now we're are we good to go yet? When do you expect work will begin? Well, we have been we've been on site. Deirdre and I have met several times on site. We've had uh, topographical surveys done. We've been um, surveying the kind of the road frontage and what have you. We've met on site with with um, our architect, and uh, we've discussed the project goals. We've kind of done some kind of very outline uh, budget work and what have you. So quite short, you know, we'll be meeting with Deirdre again with the first draft of the floor plan. So, mm. so you know, we're, we're that far advanced, you know. 
Great, which is further than we were when, when we talked last. And again, I think the, the help will be needed towards the end of the project, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we did, did the main event um, in the coming months is to get the design finalised, get all the budget work done, um, and get, get the project into planning. And then we have a few months of planning. And then beyond that, it's starting to gear up, start uh, construction work on site, and uh, we'll be dealing, we'll be building the the main building envelope and whatever you then, and then it's down to the finishes. But you see, you need to plan all these things um, well in advance, um, you know, from, from 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 start to finish as well. And I guess because the house is so specialised, that plan is needs to be even more intricate then. Yeah, I mean, even yesterday, you know, I took Deirdre up to see um, a house we finished recently in Bellinconic, uh, again, now a bungalow. Um, so she was, Deirdre um, and Andrew were delighted to walk around the bungalow and get the sense of, you know, the width of the hallways and whatever, because obviously very important for Finbar um, going forward. So they were delighted to see all that. So just give me, just kind of give a sense of um, how the building would look, um, some, some of our kind of finishes, and uh, to give them a sense of, you know, um, of what a future home could look like, you know. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was a wonderful meeting. You know? And have you had a chance to discuss this very kind offer from you, Squid Deirdre? Um, we, we've been going through um, the, the various things that are coming to date, so this will be a nice surprise. We have people, and we had on the very first day we heard from them, uh, people offering services, and we've literally opened a file on it now, and we're going to keep in touch with you and with the project over the, the coming months. But I think today has been a very, very good day for the family. Certainly, and I, I'd like to personally, um, sincerely thank everyone that has, has had, like we've had a huge outpouring of, of offerings, um, very generous, particularly around the uh, the Cork and Middleton area, and a sincere thanks from me and all at KMC and uh, and from Deirdre Walsh and her family for, for everyone that has uh, offered their support so far, and uh, sincere thanks again. That's uh, Kieran McCarthy speaking to me over the weekend. So, in case you missed it, the Walsh family, who we've kind of adopted. They're very nice people and they're in a bit of a bind. They need to build a new home for themselves. They've got land, they're selling their family home and they've got a bit of savings but literally every cent they have is going to be taken up with the build. So they need to help with finishing out the house. The house will be for three people, well it'll be for the whole family but three of those people have a worsening disability muscular dystrophy so it's got to be completely wheelchair accessible, all sorts of big wide doors and big wide spaces and it just they're going to, it's going to have to be highly, highly specialised and delighted that Yusk, which opens in East Cork and Yall on the 14th of November, Yusk have come in with an offer to help the, the Welshers with their furnishing which is fabulous. We're delighted about that. 1850-715-996 Some more good news, Mother Care bit of breaking business news uh, this morning on the wires. Mothercare Ireland has said it will not be affected by the restructuring of its parent company in the UK. There's a lot of worry about that. Mothercare in the UK doing a lot of restructuring and restructuring generally means jobs being lost and shops closing down. Not in Ireland. So Ireland is to escape the reshaping or the remodelling of Mothercare, which would be very good news for all those concerned. 1850 715 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in solidfueldepot.ie. Question 10, what is Ireland's highest mountain? Uh, where is uh, Karen Tuil? Karen Tuil for €2,000. Euro. Aaron, you've just won two grand. Yes! 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 
Congratulations, that is unbelievable news. Another winner on a Friday morning. I told you Fridays are lucky. Yeah, it's had a, it's a 10 years for me anyway. Another winner, there you go, go, go. The two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. On Friday. Um, I tweeted a picture of Michaela McCollum's new book, You'll Never See Daylight Again. And I said I just interviewed her. She's doing a, a round of media interviews and she was made available to us. So we thought, yeah, we'll have that. Interesting story. Uh, and so let, let's have a chat with her. I, there was a little bit of nastiness, I thought, in response to my tweet. People wondering, why are we giving her airtime? Why do we want to talk to this? Because she's available to us and I'd like to have her on the show. So we'll hear that interview. Michaela McCollum talking about her new book, uh, You'll Never See Daylight Again. That's coming up in the next wee while. You know, you've probably got all sorts of thoughts in your mind about her, whether she's sincere, whether she's just trying to take money out of this. What? Have a listen to the interview and then tell me afterwards what you think, all right? Uh, Now, there's a company in Middleton. Betty has been in touch to say that uh, a company in Middleton, Colbert and Company, would like to offer assistance selling the house with no fee attached. That's extremely generous because if you've ever sold and bought a house or tried to buy or sell a house, you'll know that fees can be high, can be very high. They're a percentage, usually, of the selling price. So we've got a company volunteering to sell the house for the, the existing house for the Walshes for no fee. That's extremely generous. Plus, use have come in with some furnishing. We have architectural advice, we have painters, we have plasterers, all lining up to help with the Walshes over the next while. That's great. 1850 715 996. A few more comments coming in about buses and attacks on drivers and intimidation of drivers on the buses. I will get to them all during the course of the morning. It's just a very busy Monday. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. PJ just switching off now. Commit a serious crime. Write a book. Make money. Again, a load of crap given a rare time. Do you know what? If you want to do that, that's fine. Maybe if you listen to the interview, we might, you know... I will not be told what we can and cannot do here, you know? Oh, crap. Anyway, Michaela McCullum and Melissa Reed, Michaela from the North and Melissa Reed from Scotland, they were arrested in 2013 at Lima Airport, Lima in Peru. They were trying to smuggle back two suitcases loaded with cocaine for a gang that had sent them out there to do it. They were to be paid about £5,000 sterling each to bring back these two caseloads of, of cocaine. It was quite a lot of it there and it was mixed in among their clothes and stuff. And they travelled out to pretend to be tourists for a week. And then they were having this stuff was being deli- delivered to their hotel. It was all very professional. It was up, wrapped up in cereal packets. And they were being told by the guy who was organising it that everything was covered at the airport. Everything would be covered. They'd get through, no problem. They were worried about it because if you, when you read the book, this won't go through, this can't go through, there's too much of this stuff here. But they were thought, no, it'll, it'll all go through. They got caught at Lima Airport, arrested, uh, and then subsequently imprisoned for six years. They got early release in, in 2016. They became known as the Peru 2. And Michaela has now written a book about the experience and her time in prison and what led up to it and her life after it. And she now, actually, she's a mother of two now. She has uh, little one-year-old twins. Anyway, let's have a listen. A uh, caller says, it's disgraceful that Michaela's coming on the radio from a family that's been affected by drugs, a youngster six foot under because of drugs, the likes of her coming on the radio to make money, to think what she was bringing into a country. If even a percentage you've got it in, I'm very angry. Caller, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. But at the same time, it's an interesting story and I thought we'd have an opportunity to hear it. So, Michaela, first of all, I'd say congratulations on the book. It's an interesting read. When you were released from prison, you did one major interview. We discussed it on this programme. And I'd have to say that at the time, 
there wasn't a whole lot of love out there for you uh, in terms of the kind of crime that you had committed and the damage caused by the drugs trade. What was the purpose of writing the book when what you could have done was just fade away into the distance and people would eventually forget you? Well, you know, I kind of thought was what I was hoping, um, that it would eventually disappear and people would forget it. Um, when I got released and I came back home, um, I realised that it wasn't going to be that easy. And, you know, I found out it wasn't being forgetted. And, you know, it was in every newspaper every week. And, you know, everybody was always talking about it. So, unfortunately, it didn't disappear. You know, I wasn't, you know, doing anything at that time. You know, I wasn't, you know, doing any interviews. And um, for months and months um, after I returned, there was still constant article so I felt like it wasn't going to disappear um you know I'd given it a lot of time and I kind of thought you know the book was an amazing opportunity to kind of get my story out there and be able to you know tell the truth and you know tell people what had really happened and you know I thought it would you know bring a lot of awareness to drugs and to drug trafficking and you know kind of hopefully deter other people from doing the same thing that I did or you know get themselves into situations that they might feel like they can't get out of so you know, I thought it was a great platform to kind of teach people and yeah. you know, try and prevent that from happening. Yeah, because I suppose drug trafficking isn't a victimless crime and, you know, the, the stuff that yourself and your friend Melissa were carrying, um, that could have damaged the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people, which is why there was so little love there for you when, when you came out. People said, well, you know, what she got she deserved what she got she brought upon herself did you have that in mind when you sat down to write um well i kind of feel like yes i deserved a prison sentence you know i hadn't hurt anybody really only my family and myself yes potentially i could have hurt a lot of people but you know that didn't happen and you know i felt like i did learn a really hard way from making a stupid mistake which you know i do take full responsibility for and i understand that you know i did something that affected my life you know in the long term um but i feel like that was just a mistake that i did and you know i've learned from that and mm. you know i felt like the book was you know a good way to kind of show that to people um you know, I obviously think people are going to have mixed opinions on it, but I feel like now that they know their story, they can, you know, set their final opinion on it because they have all the facts, whereas previously all they knew was that I was arrested for drug smuggling and that was it. Yeah, yeah. When we think of prison, of course, um, we have various ideas in our head of what being in a prison is, first of all, and what being in a prison overseas in, in a country you know nothing about is like. Are they things that will ever leave you those memories? Do you know, I don't think so. Like, I hope that one day it will. Um, but I always feel like, you know, you always remember the bad times, you know, and the horrible times and those, you know, bad feelings more than you remember the good. Um, and I feel like it's something that will always, you know, affect me. It'll always be a part of me because, you know, I'd experienced it for such a long time. Um mm. But, you know, I just hopefully can, you know, take the positive out of it and, you know, not try, I don't want to look at all the bad, you know, from that whole experience and, you know, how grim and horrible it all was. Um, Everyone around you was trying to say, plead guilty, plead guilty, plead guilty. Uh, that must have been a very hard decision to make. You, 
you were guilty, but you kind of felt you weren't because you kind of felt you were being too... Like when you lay alone at night in that horrible dark cell on that concrete shelf passing for a bed and it went around your head, do I plead guilty? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What were those moments like? Do you know, it was awful because in that moment when the police had asked me, I'd just been, you know, it was in the airport, you know, maybe... 30 minutes after my case was, um, you know, searched. And when they asked me, I just kind of didn't want to admit it. And I said that thing in the, that moment of time, you know, not really thinking of the consequences. You know, I kind of just thought, oh, I don't want to take responsibility, to, you know, for this. This hasn't happened to me. So I kind of really didn't realise how big it was going to become. Because so, you made up this story or you decided to make up this story that you were forced under gunpoint to, to load it into the cases and, and, and take it. And they weren't buying that. The police weren't buying that for a minute. And I think you realised as well that yeah. actually, in a way, you'd been set up because Matteo and the other people who were running this thing, you were running for them. Like, you'd, they'd been, you'd been promised, oh, you'll get out of the airport, no problem. It's all taken care of. They're all my people. You realised very quickly that was all a tissue of lies. Yeah, I mean, I do realise that. I feel like I was really stupid to believe these people. And, you know, I was really naive to think that these people cared for my interest or, you know, cared about what happened to me. And, you know, um, I look back at hindsight now and think, you know, I should never have trusted these people. I should never have believed them. You know, I should have just, you know, listened to my gut and, you know, known that this was wrong and, you know, not to go through with it. But, you know, at that time, I was just so young and stupid that I kind of thought it would be okay and... Mm. You know, did you did you actually really think you could get away with it? Because the way you describe in the book the cases, like this wasn't a small ball of drugs down inside wrapped up in your jeans. Like this was most of the contents of the case. You must have realised, Melissa must have realised, this was never going to work. You know, I did feel that, like I had a gut feeling that that wasn't going to work. Um and I did say that to the guys that, you know, I'm really scared, like, this isn't going to work. And, you know, what if we get arrested? And, you know, um, that was quickly dismissed because they had reassured that they had everything under control. And, you know, I was just being negative towards the situation. So, I mean, I did feel like, how is this going to be possible? Like, you know, this is never going to go through. So I did have that feeling. But unfortunately, I kind of went along with it anyway, thinking, you know, it's better just to get it over and done with. And Because you know, were you fearful it. of what they'd do to you if you didn't do it? But I was scared. I didn't really know them, you know, like I didn't know who they were, who they were capable of. And I think once I had received the drugs and I seen the quantity, I realised that this was a really big thing. And that kind of made me a little bit afraid of them more because I kind of thought, well, if I do walk away, what are they going to do? Are they going to just let me walk away? Or, you know, I was just really scared at that time. And I just didn't really know what to do. And I just kind of thought just getting it over and done with would have been the best thing. And... That was at the other end, of course. That was in, in, in Peru. But when you were in, in Spain and you, you agreed to go on this trip and, and, as you said to someone else, you thought Peru was just another part of Spain. Like, were you that bombed out of your head at the time? No, but even, like, I generally did not know where Peru was, whether I was on drugs or not. I just didn't know where the country was. Um, you know, I kind of just... Did you never come across South America in school? I did. Like, I knew a few countries in South America, like the more famous, like Brazil and, you know, Colombia, I'd heard of them, but I generally had never heard of Peru. Like, I didn't know where Lima was or, you know, it was a city in Peru. I just didn't know that. And when I was talk, you know, I was told I was going to Barcelona and then Mallorca, I just presumed it was, you know, around that area because, 
they were both in Spain, but I didn't really think of questioning where it was because I thought it was, you know, obvious. Obviously, now looking back, I'm thinking, how stupid did you not know where that country was? But, you know, I was only just turned 20. I didn't know. You you weren't in a clear frame of mind anyway, were you? No, I mean, when I made the decision, I wasn't in a clear frame of mind. And, you know, I probably did make the decision just, I kind of thought at that time it wasn't really a big deal. And, you know, I didn't really understand what I was committing or I didn't, you know, think about the circumstance, you know, the circumstances or, you know, the consequences that would have on me personally or, you know, on anybody else. Like, I didn't, none of that ran through my head. And as the days went on, I kind of started to understand what was happening. And, um, you know, it was kind of made me scared because I realised that this was a big thing and, you know, I wasn't just going, you know, to a different town to pick up a parcel, you know, I was going halfway across the world to traffic drugs. But I feel like when you're in a situation, it's very difficult to pull yourself out of it. Like, you know, looking back now, I wish I could have just been strong enough and be like, do you know what, this isn't for me, I'm walking away, like, this isn't the person I want to be. But unfortunately at that time, um, you know, I went through with it without, you know, questioning anything. In another interview in the last few days, you said something along the lines of you, you thought that or you you even believed that dealing in drugs and taking drugs and transporting drugs was almost kind of normal. Did that genuine belief? Well, I wouldn't have thought of that before I went to Ibiza. Like, you know, when I lived here in Northern Ireland, drugs wasn't spoken about. You know, I knew very much that it was a bad thing. But, I mean, when my time in Ibiza, it kind of changed my perspective because it was so normal there. And I was so shocked that, you know, it was such a normal thing that, you know, you would never see people consuming drugs in the streets here. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Or you wouldn't see people selling drugs openly in bars. Whereas in Ibiza, it was like that. And I was really shocked. And after, you know, a couple of weeks, I kind of thought, well, this is just how they do it here like this just must be the way it is here so yes I probably wouldn't have had that mindset you know if I was here Your first experience with drugs wasn't in Ibiza though it was with and he had turned out to be a a brute in the end your your boyfriend Michael was he was the one who introduced you to drugs you weren't unfamiliar with, with drugs I guess Yeah I mean I had consumed drugs before that but it was always kind of you know it was never really spoken about and it was always done behind doors um, yeah, I knew it existed, and I had went through a few years. Presumably, you knew it had to be bought and sold, and traded as well. Yeah, I never really heard of drug trafficking, though. It's not something I ever thought about. Of like how drugs come from another country. Like, it just wasn't something I ever thought about. Like, mm. you don't hear about those things, you know. I know now there's you know multiple TV series about drug trafficking and drug gangs, but I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, I just didn't really know what. I never heard of those kind of things. I just knew drugs were here. You never heard about it, it in school. No one, no one in school, no teacher in school ever said, girls, don't do drugs, don't get involved in drugs. You never had any of that? Not really, no. Like, I went to a country school in the middle of the country and, you know, um, sport was a big thing there and it was kind of like a really sheltered place where I grew up. So it wasn't really something people didn't do drugs there. You know, it was never spoken about. Um, it was only kind of when I moved to a town um, that I kind of got familiar with those type of things. But, um, you know, up until then, it wasn't something I kind of really knew about. What was interesting, too, is the reason that you you left for Ibiza. Um, There's a lot of interesting insight into sectarianism in the early part of the book. Uh, you, You write that we all thought, or a lot of people thought it all ended with the Good Friday Agreement, but but it didn't. And it was, was it, was it sectarianism that that got you running to Ibiza in the first place, Michaela? 
Well, I did leave Belfast because I did have a problem in regards to um, like a sectarian problem. Um, and I, it resulted in me having to leave the place where I was living. So I kind of felt really fed up that I didn't want to have to, you know, go through and rent another property and yeah. go through that process. And I just are, you, there's really a, there's a piece about growing up in the, where your two brothers were threatened while they were playing football. You, you were afraid that they might be shot just for playing football. Mm-hmm. But as a child, you experienced sectarianism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was quite consistent. I didn't really understand why because... I was born in the Republic and there was there was nothing, didn't really know the difference. Like there was, you know, nothing like that happening. So I You didn't care I, about Catholic or Protestant. No, and that I was still a whole, don't really now, yeah. but at that time, you know, before I moved to the North, I kind of didn't really know there was a difference. You know, I didn't really care for any of that. So I was quite shocked that that was an issue here. So um, that was ultimately why I did leave Belfast because I just kind of wanted to run away and I felt like it was just so stupid and... You know, I felt like it was never going to change. Like these, were all, these problems were always going to happen in my life. So um, that's why I ultimately did go to Ibiza to kind of, you know, escape that problem. Um, mm, yeah. Let's go back to the prison um, because you write very, very graphically about it. And as I said before, you, you paint a picture of a very grim existence and some very frightening things that happened to you and to those around you. Did you ever fear for your life? while you were in prison? Do you know, I, many times, um, I think I feared more for my life in the aspect that I wasn't, it wasn't about somebody hurting me physically, it was mainly about somebody, you know, tampering with my paperwork or, you know, setting me up with something or, you know, doing something like that really scared me more than anything else because i seen that thing happening so many times and I knew it was something that could happen so easily. So that scared me more of having to spend more time there than being physically attacked. So, I mean, it was a constant fear. Mm. And and you were kind of, didn't know whether you should be in fear of some of the fairly questionable characters around you or of the guards who were there supposed to be running the place. You were in fear from all sides, really. The only person yeah. you, could, you could trust probably was Melissa. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, unfortunately, that's the way it was. Like, I felt like you know, the guards and everything especially would have been there to help me and kind of nurture me and be there for me. And I think it was like a real shock when I realised that that wasn't how it was going to be. And, you know, I was there, you know, I was on my own and I was going to be against all of these other people. So, yeah, it was really, really difficult. At what point did you kind of cop on and say, OK, I'm here for however long this takes. Um, I need to start learning Spanish. I need to start getting into this trusted position for myself, for my friend, for my safety. Was there one incident that made that dawn on you? Um, Well, it's something I'd kind of thought about for a while, but um, what made me kind of go towards that was I kind of seen a light at the end of the tunnel, like I thought there was an opportunity I could get released early. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to do those things to kind of give me the better chance of getting released early and to give me an advantage. And, you know, I thought it would have been a great thing for me to learn and, you know, to tackle some of my inner problems to kind of face those issues in there. And, you know, I just thought it would be a challenge and it would teach me a lot and it's kind of kind of wanted to push myself a little bit. So um, I had thought about it, but I got scared every time and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Like... I'm just going to forget about it. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really, really glad that I did do that in the end because I think it helped me massively. I think reading the book, you were surprised that when you could communicate in Spanish 
certain people's attitudes softened a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard um, to have a relationship with somebody or to talk to somebody when you don't speak the same language. Um, And I think for a long time I went through a phase of just complete paranoia because I didn't know what anybody was saying and I felt like everybody hated me and everybody was out to get me and I didn't trust anybody. So the moment I could start to communicate, I could start to get to know that person. And, you know, I did meet some, you know, lovely people in there and, you know, some really good people. So, I mean, yes, there was really bad people, but there was people that probably didn't deserve to be there. Um, Do you think you deserve to be there? I mean, I did do something wrong at the end of the day. You know, like I did try and commit, you know, a massive crime. So I do do feel like I deserve to be punished, but I do feel like the circumstances and, you know, the reality of the prisons was really, really harsh. But um, I feel like, yeah, I committed a crime, so I do have to pay the consequences for that. Well, you've moved on now. The Mm -hmm. book is out. You have uh, twins. You're a mum of twins. As a father of twins, I wish you luck. The first 20 odd years are the best, I may tell you that, or the (laughs) hardest, I may tell you that. What do you hope happens now, Michaela? Because I I know that the minute my listeners hear this interview, they will start thinking, oh yeah, she's now going to be the next one up on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Or she's she's out here to to sell herself and to, to, to make us forgive her and make us love her. Is that what you want? No, I mean, I feel like if that's what I wanted, I would have done this a long time ago. Um, You know, when I returned back from Peru, you know, I dived into my education because I wanted to go to university. You know, I have these other plans in my life. My plans isn't to, you know, make the most of this opportunity or, you know, try and make as much money of this as I can. You know, it was never really my intentions. Like, if it was, I probably would have done it a long time ago. Mm. Um, You know, so I know people probably would look at it, but I think once you've read the book... um, you know, I think people will realise that that's not the truth because I haven't made any money from this, you know, like I could have. And, you know, I want to go to university. I, you know, I want to qualify and, you know, provide a good life for my children. So they're my goals and intentions. And if my goal was to do media work, I wouldn't be wasting my time, you know, studying this last three years. So, And if yeah. people did judge you at that first interview you gave, do you think they might think a second time after I, they read your book? Yeah, I definitely do think um, once people read the book, they'll get a better understanding of the whole story and an understanding of me. And, you know, if they want to have judgments after me, you know, it's totally fine because everybody's entitled to their own opinion and, you know, judgment. So, you know, I can't change that. But um, I hope people, you know, place their judgment on the story rather than just, you know, things they've heard in the past in the media. So, yeah, I hope the the story, you know, my book will kind of clear up a lot of things. Have you much contact with Melissa, finally? Um, we do still speak, yeah, we're still in contact. Um, You're close? Did you get close. close? I feel like we'll always be close, we'll always kind of have that bond. Well, Michaela, I wish you well with the book, as I say. It's a good read, and okay. uh, it's a harrowing story, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, you can judge it as you will. Um, that conversation, people are wondering, why was I so polite to her? I'm polite to her because I'm polite to a guest, generally, and I also find in terms of someone like that you win a little more with honey than you do with vinegar um, I still think that she's playing it down and she either doesn't want to acknowledge or she can't acknowledge or she's been told not to acknowledge the seriousness of what could have happened if she happened to get all that stuff through the airport I don't think she 
has he even contemplated what might have happened if she got all that stuff through the airport? Um, she's she's playing it down to this day. Um, and look, make up your mind, your own mind about her. We put her on. And by the way, people are asking, was, was she paid? No, she was not paid. Not, neither was a fee requested. It was just a publicity interview which was offered, which which we took. DJ, um, she isn't that naive, and any females or males going to Spain, partying in Ibiza, will be familiar with drugs and what they are. Michaela's age group, with social media, etc., etc., know well what drugs are. We're not fools. I'm not saying she would never have taken drugs or anything like that, but every 13-year-old knows what drugs are today, and for her to deny any knowledge of knowing what drugs are is puerile. To think we believe it, says Jerry. PJ, there's been less lies in a confession box, says this comment. Um, what a gobshite, says Frankie. Should still be in jail. Mag says, ah, come on. One of the first lessons in history in secondary school is on the Incas from Peru. No way am I buying that. She hadn't a clue where she was. Finbar says she's been media trained to the nth degree. Well, Finbar, whoever trained her in media isn't doing a very good job, to be quite honest with you. Uh, because they would probably have trained her out of saying stupid things like, I didn't know who, where Peru was. Softer voice and everything to portray certain sincerity. Not very savvy either. 5,000 for that much cocaine doesn't seem a lot. A lot of people picking up on this. She never heard a Peru thing. I'm not buying that for a second. I'm not buying that for a second. Patrick says, it's still all about her. I hurt no one. I robbed a car, but hurt no one. She's joking. Dirty scumbag. This girl thinks people are stupid and will swallow her story. But sure, she's a pure liar. I've known my years. Never slayed someone on your show, but did she not know? I'm sorry, Patrick. I lost the run that completely. Look, we had her on. She was offered to us. She wasn't paid. I've read the book. You know, it's it's you'd read it in a day on your holidays. I congratulated her on her on it because you do. It's politeness to congratulate someone on the writing of a book. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. After the break, Browtober. Remember that? Yeah. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. From Limerick, but now London-based, Gwen Young have had an amazing 2019 with a string of radio hits and the release of their critically acclaimed day album. When Young returned to Cork for what should be a cracking show this week on Friday 8th of November. Over 300 films and events are included in the packed Cork Film Festival 2019 programme, with 90% of the features, documentaries and shorts having their first screening in Cork. Further information on a great programme and tickets are available online at corkfilmfest.org. Access all areas. If you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can mail us on aaa at 96fm.ie and we'll tell Cork all about it. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lee's side. On Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 
big spender coming your way this hour. We're playing the artist of the day, which is picture this. You can't enter until the song is playing. So we're playing picture this this hour. You need to text big spender or WhatsApp to 083 396 96 Then you have to answer a question. And if you get that question right, you'll be going into our grand final. All right. So Casey and Ross gave out the artist of the day at half past seven this morning. Picture this. I'll be playing picture this this hour. When you hear them, you got to get text or WhatsApp to 083-396-9696. Text Big Spender and your name and your details to that number. All right? It's coming up this hour. 1850-715-996. Text 083-396-9696. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Thanks for holding, uh, Sarah. Browtober went very well for you, didn't it? Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are things? Great, great. It went very well. Remind people again what it was about and what you did. Yes. So um, I've been asked numerous times if I would do one-on-one sessions with women who are suffering hair loss through alopecia or cancer treatment. And to be honest, I didn't know how I could help them. I work as a brow tech myself and I deal with hair, you know, uh, on the daily, but I have no experience with hair loss. Yeah. So my friend LJ set up Browtober last year after she volunteered with Look Good, Look Good Feel Better um, after realizing that there was a lack of support for women suffering hair loss. So together we decided to shave off our brows to uh, for Breast Cancer Awareness Month mm. and raise money for Look Good Feel Better and also to use our platforms. We both do online video tutorials we wanted to teach women how to create eyebrows from scratch through video tutorials. As someone who has never shaved off my eyebrows in my life, how long <laughs> How long do they take to grow back? <laughs> um, well, because we were doing the videos, I mean, we've had amazing support from brands and stuff sending down products so we've been doing tutorials throughout the whole month, uh, so I continued shaving mine for about two weeks through the month to get the videos done right. um, so I've left them now about two weeks and they're kind of growing back, they're a bit fluffy they're getting there (laughs) (laughs) and you raised 2400 a lot of it was online was it most online yeah 2000 of it was online through you know sharing on our social media platforms and then the rest was through the brow brow factory salon in douglas um they have been absolutely incredible and offered tons of support we did a raffle in the salon as well which really helped with donations great so two nearly two and a half grand for for look good feel better tell me a bit more about that that was set up it's a friend of yours set that up obviously wasn't it yes yeah so she volunteered uh, for Look Good Feel Better in CUH Hospital. So they do like master classes for women that have just finished treatment or at the end of their treatment. You know, just helping them to feel better. You know, they've already been through so much and it's such a horrific experience yeah. to lose your hair. Um, you know, it's such a small part of what they go through, but it's you lose a part of yourself, part of your identity. So mm. it's just to really boost their confidence and help them to feel themselves again. Gotcha. All right. Well, well done mm-hmm. on your efforts and congratulations. That's Sarah. Sarah Francis uh, from the Brow Factory in Douglas. And of course, there was donations online as well. Two and a half, 2,400 they, they made for Look Good, Feel Better during Browtober. Now it's November. That's the next one. We'll be here to that, um, no doubt, over the next couple of weeks. 1850 the Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. KCN Ross in the morning.
Sam. And getting grief on, on what's WhatsApp. On? Please stop calling it Holly Bow. It's Holly Bow. Holly Bow. No, it's not Holly Bow. Hang on a second, though. It's, Holly. The, it's the Holly Bow. Deck the halls with, with bows, of, of, bows of Holly. Bows of Holly. Holly Bow. I think you're wrong, listener. Holly Bow. No. And you say it with an exaggerated Cork accent. Bow. Holly Bow. Holly Bow. Yeah. Boy, Casey and Ross love it, so we all buy the Holly Bow. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's out no. I mean, no. no. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Staniline. Big on service with every little thing taken care of. Staniline.com. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96FM. Still some comments coming in with regard to uh, Michaela McCollum. I'll get to them in a little while. 1850-715-996. Here's an interesting one. Robert Gabriel from Blarney has invented an app for people with dyslexia and other such, uh, other, other such issues. And it's now got 65,000 users across the world. So we say we have to talk to this man. He's in the States, so there may be a slight delay on the line. But Robert, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very good, sir. I'm very good. Tell me about Helper Bird. Where did the idea come from? Uh, yeah, so if you so in 2015, uh, I was doing an internship with uh, a local company, you know, Teamwork.com, out in Blackpool. Yeah. And for the first month or so, I had to kind of get up to speed, and I was doing computer science in college. And, you know, you, when you go from college to the workplace, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, a step up. So yeah. I wanted to make a small little project. And I thought, what better than making something that, you know, as simple as it was, was changing the font on a web page to a, a dyslexic friendly one. Okay. And that's all it did. It was a, a small browser extension or app that all it did was change a font from right. one to, from any web, from one to a font that's more friendly. Because when you and read, anyway, you, can, you, can, you, can, yeah, you can change the font, can't you, when you're writing a document, but you can't change the font when you're reading a website most of the time. Yes, that, that's correct. And uh, this font in particular called Open Dyslexic one was very, very popular. So I built this little Chrome extension and it just allowed you to change any website's font to this dyslexic-friendly one. I forgot about it for a couple of months. And um, when I checked back, it had 2,000 users. And uh, this was like three, four months later. Right. And then I kind of tipped, uh, kind of tipped away at this over the next couple of months, uh, next year, kind of just more of a side project. I got a few emails in. And then about a year ago, uh, I was feeling a bit burnt out and a bit down, and I needed a break, so I decided to go traveling. Yeah. And in November of last year, I decided to focus on this help of a lot more because it started growing a bit more. Yeah. And I had 8,000 users. And then as of one year today, it's grown to 65,000 users. And I've added more features. I've added, for people who have epilepsy, it will move flashing images off the page. Wow. It will allow you to, you know, change the colors to make, you know, make the web easier for you, no matter what kind of learning difficulty you have yeah. or, you know, any issues you anybody... have with learning or reading. Yeah, there's a bit of a delay on the line. Anybody with any kind of sensory issue to do with reading would, would get benefit from this. Is it just on a, a PC or a laptop, Robert, or can you put it on a phone or a tablet? 
Yeah, it's, it, it's, at the moment, it's just on the PC, so on the Google Chrome browser, Firefox, and Microsoft Internet Explorer. But uh, come January, it'll be out on the iPad and Android devices as well. So you just put in to your browser Helperbird, is that it? Yeah, if you just uh, if you Google search helperbird.com and if you go onto the webpage, it's all there and you can easily download it. And the one thing I have to say is it's been very heartwarming from someone who has dyslexia to get these messages from parents and adults and kids all over the world saying how much it's helped them. Yeah. And that's I, why I was very, um, very honoured to have me on online today so I could just help spread the word a, a little bit. I was just about to ask you that, your, your own interest in this, where it, where it stems from, and you have, you've got dyslexia yourself. Yes, and I was actually undiagnosed for years until my parents kind of got, uh, you know, put, uh, kind of stepped up in, in the sense where the school didn't particularly want me tested or couldn't afford to get me tested, and my parents went out of their way to make sure I did, mm. and I was discovered I had dyslexia. And I kind of wasn't doing very well in school at the time. Mm. And after I was kind of diagnosed and got the help I needed, I kind of tried once I discovered computers and a passion I, I love. I, I've loved it 10 years later. Good. And tell me, when you have dyslexia, Robert, looking at a page of text, is it that you, try to explain for listeners, is it that you can't discern what word is which or it's difficult to pick out one part of the page from the other? What, what is it in simple terms? So there's different like scales and levels to it. In my particular case, if I see a B and a D, I'll get them mixed up, even if I don't mean to. Okay. Then you have some people where uh, the letters will move around on the page. And so there's different kind of levels of dyslexia. Okay. But in simple terms, it's when you confuse up letters and, and numbers on the page. Okay. Some people call it word, word blindness, I think. That's another name for it. Yes, that's, that's what I also use as well when I'm talking to my friends. Very good. Okay. Well, congratulations with Helper Board, 65,000 users around the world. I, I hope you're starting to make a bit of money out of it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the one thing. I've had advice, you know, you should charge a little bit of money for it. But at the end of the day, I want this to be affordable for everyone. Yeah. Uh, because some of those educational softwares out there are so expensive and a lot of parents and kids can't afford it. So, as I put it, uh, a cup of tea, uh, five dollars every every month, and it all goes to keeping the servers up and the technology going forward. Yeah, just had a call here from someone, um, a person with aphasia, brain brain damage after a stroke, and they they struggle to read and struggle to understand words. Do you think help a bird would be of assistance to them? I, I, that's the way I've designed it, that it, it'll help in any way they can. If you're not changing fonts, you know, text-to-speech, speech-to-text. So it's very customizable, and I hopefully it can help that person. Okay, okay. Listen, listen, the best of luck with it, Robert, and congratulations on it. And like that, a simple idea that came to you, and you've been working on it and nurturing it, and here it is now. Uh, when will it be ready for the, the Android and the iPhone, we you saying? Uh, so January 1st, January so it's 1st. just in the middle of being testing, and if anyone would like to try it early, if they just contact me through the Helperbird website, I'll be happy to give it out okay. to them early. So it's helperbird.com, is that it? Yes, that's it. Okay. Robert, listen, a bit of delay on the line, which confuses things slightly, but thank you very much. That's Robert Gabriel from Blarney.
uh, based now in the States. And the app or the website extension, it's a Chrome, Google Chrome and Firefox extension, helperbird.com. So if you want to use it, you've got to go into your browser and you've got to look for the website helperbird.com and it'll tell, it'll then tell you how to put that extension onto your website so that when you're looking at a website, you look at it in the way you want to look at it to suit whatever visual difficulty or sensory difficulty you have. It's brilliant. It's great. Helps people with any, any website, any website at all, once, that, once it's on your, your browser. Any website. It's not just it's not just dyslexia. It's any kind of a visual sensory dis- problem. Just put helper board on your browser and it'll help to read all of the different uh, websites. 1850-715-996. Back to Michaela and whether we should or should not have been speaking to her this morning. Um, she shouldn't get any money out of it, says this call. It should all go to a drug rehab unit. I did read another newspaper story because there's loads of them out there. I did read another newspaper story that said her family have huge debts as a result of the, the legal campaign to try to get her out of prison early. Once she, once, she, once she pleaded guilty and she was jailed for the number of years that she was jailed for, then the campaign began to try to get her out. And that cost an awful lot of money. Uh, so I think the family are, are in debt. I think it's one, one thing she's planning to do, I do believe. Um, Barry says, yeah, every 13-year-old knows what drugs are. 15 or 20 years ago, 13-year-olds were playing with Pokemon cards and Barbies. Thanks, Barry. Tom says, people make mistakes every day, PJ. Big ones and small ones. Forgiveness is not in the hearts of some of your listeners. Well, I guess, I suppose, if your life was damaged by drugs or if someone in your life is suffering with drugs or trying to deal with addiction, I suppose you probably have a different view. But I get your point, Tom, and thank you for making it. And Karen in Denmark says, I thought you did a good job interviewing Michaela. You challenged her in a nice way. And we're clear, or very clear, making the points. Fair play. Thank you, Karen, for that. Thank you. The Cork's 96 FM Big Spender. 96 minutes. To spend 10,000 euro. With Blackpool Shopping Centre and Retail Park. Christmas shopping is what they do best. Blackpool.ie, where everything's waiting for you. Yeah, I got money on my mind. How cool would it be? 10 grand in your hand, 96 minutes to spend it. Every morning. Casey and Ross give a featured artist of the day at half past seven. And then when we play that artist during the day, and we will, you get a text or WhatsApp your name and Big Spender to 083 396 96 96. And when we do it, we will pick one listener to answer a question and see do they qualify for the final stages of Big Spender. So I think we're going to Rat Peak and Tara... Hi, how are you? Hey, Tara, how are you? You were listening. I was. Do you think you could spend 10 grand in an hour and a half? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, know, I know with the sound of you. <laughs> give me, I would spend an all. Give me 10 minutes. There's a few little rules and regulations, but you'll still have, to, you'll still have an hour and a half, 96 minutes in which to spend it. So to, in order to get to that stage, you've got to answer a question. The artist today was pictured this. But the question, you're going to love this. Miley Cyrus, of whom you might have heard. Miley Cyrus once had hair extensions flown into America from Italy. How much did they cost? Was it 
$14,000 or was it $24,000? Was it fourteen or was it $24,000? Oh, God. Um, was it fourteen or was it $24,000? Twenty-four. $24,000. Yes. Fools and their money are soon parted, but she has plenty of it. <laughs> Air extensions, 24 grand to fly. We should not buy them down around the corner in the chemist. <laughs> Tara, you're through to the final, all right? Thanks very much. Best of luck. Best of luck with that. That's Tara on Big Spender on Cork's 96 FM. She's heading away. She now has a chance to win 10K and 96 minutes to spend it on Cork's 96 FM. It's Big Spender. It's back. It's the Big Spender with Blackpool Shopping Centre and Retail Park. Christmas shopping is what they do best. Blackpool.ie where everything is waiting for you. Breaking news coming from London. Um, police have cordoned off the third floor of PCH. Uh, staffers are having to swear they won't try accessing the third floor. There's police tape up. This is a developing story. Portocollis House is what PCH is. Portocollis House is an office building in Westminster, uh, commissioned in 1992 and opened to provide offices for 200 and 13 members of Parliament and their staff. So, an office building with 213 offices for members of Parliament, police have cordoned off the third floor and other staff from other parts of the floor have been banned from entering it completely. There's police tape up, third floor of Portcullis House in London in Westminster, uh, currently blocked off and taped off. We'll watch that story with interest. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Course 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cozy nights in. SolidFuelDepot.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if we get one message a week to the Opinion Line, be it by text or WhatsApp or Facebook or email or whatever, to do with customer service, we get a dozen. Sometimes it's people praising how well they were looked after in a particular premises. Most of the time it's complaints about not getting satisfaction over this or not being happy with the way you were treated over that. And sometimes you kind of wonder, are Cork businesses good at customer service? We'd like to think that for the most part they are. But could customer service be generally improved? I'd like to hear from you about this. Have you got any particular experience you'd like to share with us where you had to go back and complain and the complaint was properly handled or if it wasn't properly handled, what went wrong? Um, Alf Dunbar is an internationally recognised expert in customer service. He's coming to Cork this week for a You Are The Difference event. Alf travels the world teaching people how to improve customer service and teaching people the secrets of customer service. And he'll be in Cork on Wednesday, I think it is, at the Everyman is when the event is on. And Alf joins me now by phone. Alf, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for taking our call. We like to pride ourselves in this city on the fact that we're, we're good at customer service. Are we really in general, the Irish, as good as we think we are, though? 
That's a very good question. I think everybody can uh, can can be better. I think uh, sometimes we think we're good at one thing, and um, that could be something we've done for a very very long time. A little bit blinkered. Sometimes we take the blinkers back and we see a different way of doing things. We can do it from you know a more positive angle, and. You know, my feeling is you can never learn less. So you can always look to improve. And I think the day you think we've done it, we can't get any better, is the day you start going down. The old saying in retail in particular is that the customer is always right. And there's an unspoken second half of that, which my wife learned when she worked in the catering trade many years ago. They're never more right than when they're completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Bill Gates, he's got a really good uh, quote that says, uh, your most unhappy customer can be your greatest sense, source of learning. And I think that's true. Um, the customer is key to your business. That's the reason we have the business. Without them, we don't have a business. Yeah. And um, I think we have to allow them to be right, and we then have to take on that feedback. And I think that's really important what you said at the beginning. If you're getting complaints and you're getting that negative feedback, that can be the thing that can help turn around your business because many people don't complain. They just tell other people who don't shop with you. Yeah. Before I go into what you teach at your seminars, Alf, what's your own story? You, yeah. Yeah, you, 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 you had a business which almost yeah. failed and, and then you turned it round. What happened? Well, that goes back about uh, 20 years. I had, uh, had my own shop and um, it just was not succeeding at all. And... Uh, the truth of the matter is I was about six or seven weeks away from going bankrupt, losing everything. And right. I had nowhere else to go. So I decided to um, do everything different. And nothing what what kind of a shop was it? Out just a general store or what? It was a, it was a, a natural hair a, and skin care products. Okay. It was part of a major franchise across the world. Um, it was the body shop. You've maybe heard of the body shop? Yes, Erotic. of course. Yes. It was a franchise uh, of the body shop, and it was based in Denmark. Okay. I lived in Denmark at that time. And um, the shop the shop fit cost, I think it was about three times what we thought it might cost. And I just got into so much debt, and it just never really took off. Mm. So after about five years of borrowing money and getting nowhere, I was told that unless I could start paying the money back, I was going to be forced into bankruptcy. And... That was the moment I decided I'm going to just take the last six weeks stock because that's all I had left and do everything completely different. And it was like a light bulb moment. I then saw all the opportunities that were always there but had never really looked for them. I was too busy blaming everybody the first five years for it going wrong. Right. So I what did you do? You just, you, you, did you just sell, decide this is my last lash of it now? Here's all the stock I have left. And did you change your sales you know, what attitudes? What did you do? Yeah, I, I changed everything. The first thing I changed was myself. And my program is a little different to most programs because I would say 50% of the program is nothing to do with customer service. It's everything to do with you because customer service is about people. So I first of all looked at myself and I changed my whole thought around myself. I decided to become really positive. I decided to, to, to believe I could rather than I can't. And I just went for it without any fear because I had nothing to lose. And I, dis I discovered there was nothing out there. There was nothing to be scared of. And I developed these new techniques. The idea was I looked at the sale as an apple. 
And inside every cell is a core. And if you can discover how to get to that core through interacting with a customer, then you could develop a program and a selling technique that would only work. And that's what I did. So I developed these five techniques unique to my program. We use them on the shop floor to create the perfect habit. So we, we, we could not do it. We did it without thinking. And um, I put over... 40% onto my sales. Well, what, what and, kind um, of techniques are we talking here of? Is it literally meeting well, everybody the, the, with a smile? Is it is it just the, being... Yeah, there's five, there's five basic techniques within my program, and I'm going to show these at the Everyman on Wednesday night. That's a plug. Um, there's the greeting, which is very important when you come into store that you should be greeted. Mm. How you approach a customer, how you interact with them after you've approached, with, approached them, how you can introduce a product that complements one they're buying, how you close the sale, and how you give the great last impression at the till. But I would say the caveat to all of this is none of it, none of it looks like selling. It all looks natural. Yeah. It must be a well, natural thing. Otherwise, customers will not accept it. It never must look like a hard sale, and it never does. Like that, that fourth one that you mentioned there now, you, know, you buy the product, and then you come up to the counter say to the till and you're paying for your for, for argument's sake i might buy razors packet of razors yeah and yeah. the person might reach behind you know what goes great with them now is this particular uh shaving foam yeah that annoys yeah. me <laughs> yeah that annoys me too and, and that's why we never coach it to do it at the till the only time that we uh, really coach, the per we call it perfect partners, that's the name of the technique, it's done on the shop floor while you're engaged with the customer. Because if you do it at the till, the next person waiting behind that person spots it and sees it as a technique, and they're ready to say, no, it's like when you go into a lot of petrol stations, they'll say, would you like a bar of chocolate? Yeah. Already in your mind is no. <laughs> because they've asked the four people in front of you, so no, it, it, it's not it's it's not to be done there, and it doesn't look like that. Yeah, the ultimate, I think, in good customer service, any kind of a premises, and you pass the door of a premises, and it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a restaurant or a shop or whatever, and you actually want to go in, that's the time at which you know you've this this place is special. Yeah. You know? yeah. Even if it's just a yeah. coffee shop yeah. and you pass it and I want to go in here because I love the way they treat me. And there's no, there's, is that just about being nice to people? We have, a, we have a saying in our program called people buy people first, the product second. And if you think about it just for a second, the last time you had really good service, you will probably remember something about the person because that creates a feeling inside you which is different to thought. And that feeling can stay with you for the rest of your life. And every time you go into that town and you want a coffee, you don't go there or here or wherever. You go back to that same place mm. where you got that nice feeling. And uh, that's why it's so important that, uh, that we coach that, that, that. There is a name above the cafe or the restaurant or the shop or the hotel, but the people inside it give it its name. Dealing with problems, of course, is part of the thing. When a sale goes well, it goes well. But it's the problem. It's the person who comes back in with something that doesn't work or didn't suit them or was tasted mm -hmm. awful or whatever. How can you teach staff to do that well? I have a particular scenario in mind, which I'll give you in a second. But how do you teach 
staff to do that well? Well, the thing that I think makes us different to a lot of customer service coaching and training companies is that we only work with clients where we're allowed to go and work on the shop floor with the staff. We do big sessions like the one on Wednesday. We do staff training sessions with 30 or 40 people. But we always follow up with real live on the shop floor training with real customers. And that's the only way you can really learn it. And the key is, I believe, that you must treat that complaint exactly the same way that you would treat a sale. It has to be done that way. And you have to... Because you... Within the programme, we talk about something called the lifetime value of a customer. You might lose that customer because of a €50 sale and you don't want to give them the refund and you wind up arguing with the customer and they leave. You work out how much they spend with you over a lifetime. It could be thousands and thousands of euros. You lost it for 50 It doesn't make any sense. So what we do is we work with the team on the shop floor and taking them through scenarios of what could happen if a customer had a quick complaint or a query or was upset about something, so that they can then handle that in real life when yeah. it happens. A friend of mine who's worked in retail for more years than he or I care to remember uh, used to work for a major chain, that's all I'd say. And around Christmas time, in between Christmas and New Year, as can happen, woman arrives in with, and it was actually a tin of biscuits. So the woman arrived in with a tin right. of biscuits that she wanted to return because she said the seal was broken on them. And they were the yeah, tin of yeah. biscuits that might, they don't sell. They don't sell in this particular um, chain. So my friend took the tin right. off her and said, we, 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 don't, we don't sell it. And his supervisor happened to be passing and took over. And he actually said, yeah. well, you know, we're out of those today, but would you like to take <laughs> these instead? And she was gone with a big okay. smile on her face. Now, they didn't yeah, even yeah. sell the damn biscuits. What was the benefit exactly. of that look interaction? At that. Look at that. And do you know how many people that, that that person will tell? Maybe five or six, seven or eight. And they will maybe tell somebody else. And all that for a tin of biscuits. <laughs> I got you. I understand. There's <laughs> only a tenner, like. There's <laughs> only a tenner. And I'll guarantee you, you couldn't buy that publicity for 110. That's true. That's true. All right. Wednesday night, Everyman, Everyman Palace Theatre. Uh, you'll be doing your show, doing your presentation. I'll be doing the show. All right, yeah. listen, good talking to you, Alf. Take care. That's Alf Dunbar. It's the You Are the Difference uh, customer service training event. And it's part of the uh, local enterprise Cork City plan to make us world beaters at customer service in this city. It's Wednesday, November 6th. We, we did talk about this last year when they launched the customer service training chart, actually earlier this year. We did talk about it at the time. So this is a major training seminar training programme for people in customer service in Cork. Happens Wednesday night in Yebbiman. Michael says, I find the worst service I get is in phone shops. Drives me mad. Kate says, there's no better way to increase business than to have word of mouth recommendation and it costs nothing. Very true. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Ten grand. 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 Ten 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 ten
FM Big Spender. Blackpool Shopping Centre and Retail Park. Christmas shopping is what they do best. Blackpool.ie, where everything's waiting for you. I got money on my mind. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Corks 96 FM. We often talk on the program about food and about how here in Cork we are so good at food and producing great food and serving great food in our restaurants. And no, no less a place than Kinsale is world famous for its good food circle. They've got a little project at the moment, which we said we'd check in with. It's called the Kinsale Kids Kitchen Takeover. Well, by all accounts, there is a desperate shortage of youngsters wanting to enter the chef trade, wanting to learn how to cook at whatever level. There's a fierce shortage of them going into it. So the idea is that to, to get them into it and get them interested in it and say, well, maybe this, maybe I would consider this as a career option. One of the guys involved in it is uh, Kinsale's newest Michelin-starred chef, Paul McDonald from Bastion. Paul, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Great. Is there a shortage of youngsters wanting to learn to cook and learn to be chefs and learn to work in the trade? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's been, been well documented over the past couple of years. Um, it's, it's, it's increasingly difficult to, to staff the kitchen and to staff all kitchens all over. We're kind of lucky. There's only myself and two other guys in the kitchen and the kitchen porter. Um, so we've got a small team. We've only got you know, 30, 35 seats, really. Um, but when you go into the bigger the hotels and stuff like that, it's, it's very difficult. To and do we know? Do we know why it's so hard to get staff? Um, I suppose that the, the industry got a bad rap for for long hours and and low pay and, and things like that. And and there is, I mean, there is. It's tough. It's not an easy job. But um, it's it's if it's just a job to you, then it's very difficult. If it's something that you've got a bit of passion about and that you're excited about and you enjoy it. Then, then it's then it's not difficult because you enjoy doing it. Yeah. And what stage would you want to start uh, if you want to become a, a top chef? Like, would you want to be starting in your teens or when? Yeah. I mean, for me, I started. I, I left school very early. I left school when I was kind of fifteen, fourteen, fifteen. Started started washing pots when I was fourteen. I was in on the starter section when I was fifteen, kind of filling burger buns with lettuce and tomato and I thought you know I had arrived by then because I was off the pots and um, they took it from there you know 16, 17 cooking in different restaurants 18 I moved to Dublin but then there's also so I mean I started very young there's also and a, and a lot of guys do that a lot just, you know end up on pots first and then you know somebody pulls them aside and makes, has them making sandwiches and is but that it Paul is it that a lot of youngsters and I'm going to sound terribly negative here now, but I, and oh. I don't want to <clears throat> They're not willing to wash the pots these days. They're not willing to sweep the floor. There's a bit of that. Um, I mean, there is a bit of that, but we've got a young guy with us, uh, Kieran McGregor, straight out of college there. In fact, he just um, he just had his, what do you call it, when you, your cap and gown thing? Yeah. Um, graduation. Just, just graduation, yeah, yeah, just just Friday there. 
and um, young Kiron would would do anything. Young, there's absolutely nothing. Young, young Kiron runs food with us, you know, because a part of the kitchen thing is that we, we the chefs run food. He's the last guy in at the end of the night sweeping the floor. He's the first guy in in the morning weighing out his breads and stuff. So, you know, to, to say that, and, and I know what you mean, it's, it's, the, it's the general, but there's exceptions to every every general, um, and he's one of the exceptions. Yeah. But, yeah, there is there is a lot of that. Of We see it a lot with front of house girls and boys coming through, trying to trying to get them to, to you know, keep to our standards. Because cleaning people. the arse off a born saucepan is part of it. You've got to learn. You've got to learn. You got to learn it from, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to you know, learn your trade and, and learn it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of events are on this, this week then to encourage youngsters? Um, the, the exacts of it, I'm not 100% on, but oh. the, 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 the broad spectrum of it is basically it's to try and get kids, for me, it's to try and get kids to learn a little bit about how to cook for themselves because I'm also actually about to start doing a separate thing, separate to this and we had we'd spoken about it years ago um, with one of the schools is teaching fifth and sixth years just five or six dishes to go to uh, university with or, or college That's a fabulous with. idea. Because it's a brilliant just, idea. It is because there's a couple of, for me, that, that now that's a separate thing to what we're talking about but it's for me, this thing here is um, you teach uh, fifth and sixth year students before they go to college five or six dishes, one of them spaghetti bolognese, one of them's, you know, scrambled eggs on toast, one of them's a roast chicken, whatever it is, um, they can then feed themselves because for the first time they are leaving home, they might be going from Cork, going up to Galway, and they're at college in Galway, and they're all on their own and they don't know how to cook. So they they spend their money buying bad food that's more expensive and it's not good for their brain. It's not, you know, they're not learning more because, you know, food is is for your brain, for, for, for energy, for all them things. Um, so it teaches them that, it teaches them how to cook. But also, it makes them very popular because if you're the guy in the new house that can feed the house or make a big <laughs> stew, yeah. everybody loves you. The girls love you. you know? <laughs> That's a super idea. Paul, we've just been talking about um, customer service in, in general. But over the last year or so, I have noticed quite a number of restaurants uh, going online, restaurant owners going online, really, really annoyed because on a Saturday night, someone had booked a table for eight or 10, and then not shown up, or rang five minutes in advance and said they weren't coming. And there you are left, particularly in a small restaurant, with with a lot of space to fill and a lot of people to pay, and nothing coming in at that big table. And the discussion, I, certainly on social media, and I think we talked about it on the programme as well, yeah. is it time to start taking deposits? Um, deposits is one way of doing it, and, and, and if you look at a hotel, it will take a holding deposit, or, or, or if you go to anything else, any if you go to buy a car, they'll take a deposit. If you go to buy, you know, a lot of things, they'll they'll take a deposit. Um, for us personally in our restaurant, and, and it's different for everybody, we don't take a deposit, but we do take uh, credit card details, right. and we say, so long as you turn up, there's no problem, and if you want to cancel or amend or reduce your booking in any way depending on the size of the group, it's 24 or 48 hours notice. Okay. And if you don't give us that, we will charge you. Well, but what do you charge then? Is it... we For us, we charge the full menu price. So if you if you, if you you book with us and um, you just decide not to show up that night, we'll right. charge you the full menu price because our restaurant, like I said to you, we've got 30, 33 seats really is all we've got. Right. So um, if a table of a table of three doesn't show up, that's, you know, that's 10% of our restaurant. 
yeah. or nine nine percent or um can you afford to lose ten percent of your, your your wages every night no. of course you can't yeah. and then the other thing is because of the way we cook we cook only for the day so if i've got you know the 33 people uh, booked tonight i'll cook 33 portions or, or prepare 33 portions of rabbit and foie gras terrain 33 portions of beetroot baked 33 portions of celeriac all these things so they're they are set they're going to go to waste because i can't use them the next day the wait staff are in and, and ready to go Right. The, the chefs are hired and, and standing in the kitchen ready to go. So if you if you cancel with with no uh, or you don't cancel if you if you just yeah. don't. So if up, I if I call you and say look I want a table for two Saturday night, yeah. uh, and you say grand and then I don't show up, you've got my credit card and you're going to you're going to hit my credit card for the cost of two full meals. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Now the only way I wouldn't do that is if I can resell that table. If you were to phone me, yes, and uh, and even give me. Five hours notice. Yes, I'll be up on Twitter. I'll be up on Facebook. I'll be up on Instagram, and I'll put it out there. And I'll have a waiting list for each night as well. Yeah. Um, and if I can sell that table, by all means, I will, and not charge you. I'll do anything I can not to charge you. But if you just don't show, then I'm, I'm left with no option because that time slot's then gone. I like that idea. I have to say, I have to say, Paul, because yeah. that. At some some of the restaurants around town now, one or two of them in particular had left down several times. And one one night, I saw a person tweeting, and I almost wanted to go in and just bring a table for two in myself, just to take some of the pressure off them. Yeah. But literally, half the restaurant had been cancelled. He'd taken a big booking for say twenty people, and they yeah. just decided a quarter to eight we're not coming. Yeah, it's just not fair, you know. That that restaurant, whoever it may be, have have. Um, staff set aside for a large table like that. When we get a large table like that, you know, okay, we need two girls on the back, you need that section set up, you've got all the food prepared for it, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really unfair to do okay. it to people. All right, that's great. Listen, Paul, good luck with, with Bastian and everything you do down there and with this idea to get more kids into chefing and cooking and preparing food. Brilliant. That's the Kinsale Good Food Circle running the Kinsale Kids Kitchen Takeover. That's Paul McDonald from Bastian. Uh, Michelin star winning chef. How about that, though? I wonder what other... We might take this up tomorrow. How would other restaurants do that? Would if, Okay, so you call up your favourite restaurant and you say, I'm coming in for dinner for three people on Saturday night, or four people on Saturday night. And they say, Grant, lovely. Take a credit card number. So you give a credit card number. And then if it's a thing that you don't show up, and you might just forget it or something might go wrong, fine. But if you don't show up, it takes the cost of three menus off your credit card. That'll learn you to show up. Uh, Roach's stores, uh, getting back to Alf Dunbar, lots of comments. Roach's stores used to have a great customer service policy. They did. they take Anthony off you. They were even stuff that didn't sell. They'd take it back for you. Kate says there's no better way to increase business than to have word of mouth. Jerry says, in fairness, those working in the service industry have a lot to put up with. I've seen people treat those working in shops like bits of dirt and talk to them like they were nothing. But they're, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. If you want good customer service, be a good customer. Which is a good point at which to pause and finish for the day.